you don't need to be the best at something in life. You don't, in fact, you don't have to be the best at anything in life. But if you want to be successful in a particular area, your likelihood of being successful is going to go up massively if you are surrounded by good people. That's the voice of Edwin Rakanui, a very good friend of mine who recently brought an investment property. And in today's episode, I interview Eddie about the mental game of property investing. We talk about how to stay the course through what can be a long, drawn-out process, what motivated him through that step-by-step process. Uh, We talk about resources that he found useful. We talk about some of the challenges they faced and, and how you might be able to overcome them. Overall, we hopefully give you some reassurance that although you might face some obstacles along the way, there are ways through it. You don't need to know everything before you get started And the main message here is don't let perfection get in the way of progress. So I hope you enjoy listening. Thanks for tuning in. I wish you all the very best with your journey into the world of property investment. Sure. So this is the second time around the traps for my wife and I. And this time... Second time owning a rental? Yeah, second time owning a rental. Uh, so the first time was a bit of a disaster. We were uh, we were part of the problem, actually. So What is we, it? Well, we, we were really, really accommodating landlords uh, to the extent that on several occasions our tenants... You know, came up with all sorts of excuses why they couldn't pay the rent, and we had a, we had quite a strong emotional connection with our tenants. It's a bit of a bit of a challenge for us in that we build those relationships with with tenants. And what we found was we were basically saying, sure, you know, every time they came up and said that they couldn't make rent or they were short, we were just kind of waving it off and saying, yeah, that's fine, don't worry about it. You know, we'll sort it out next time. And really, you can't do that. You you need to be running it like a business. So that was a that was a really steep learning curve for us. Did you purposely buy that property at the time, or was that something that you sort of a situation that you fell into? Or yep. So we purposely bought. It happened shortly before two thousand and seven, and the reason it happened was we were moving to the UK. We were going on our OE, and we had sold our own house. Someone you know actually sold that house for us. <laughs> um, and we, at the time, we were, we didn't want to take our foot off the property litter. So we thought, let's stay, let's stay in there somehow. And we, to be fair, we didn't really do a lot of homework. We kind of, we were looking around and once again made an emotional purchase. Uh, Did you have a criteria of sort of the property you were? Uh, intending to buy that did you think about you know what would make a good investment at the time really loose criteria so we wanted something that had um, multiple income streams coming off it and so we bought uh, two three bedroom places that were on a single title out in Porirong and it was in a in a lower socioeconomic area Porirong in Cairns Creek and uh, I think when we bought it it we got it for two hundred and sixty thousand, 
Uh, and I can't remember the rest of the numbers around there, but it was cash flow positive at the time, so it made sense for us. And in that area, it was one of the 1970s state houses, so, you know... Built, built to a standard nuclear holocaust. Absolutely. You know, so there's kind of a low maintenance factor coming into it, and we wanted something that would, that would serve that low maintenance purpose while we were living overseas as well. And... I mean, I don't know one end of a hammer from another, so anything that I didn't have to maintain was gonna was gonna tick a lot of boxes for me as well while we were still in New Zealand. And then, yeah, we we bought that, um, went overseas, and when we came back, uh, not long after coming back, we sold up and then, yeah, made our next step. And and what was the main reason for selling up at the time? Uh, so selling up to in order to purchase. So when we came back from the UK, yeah, yeah, it was basically just to free up that capital. Okay, um, cool. we wanted to. We were looking at buying a home. Um, the whole reason we'd come back to New Zealand was to start a family. And so we just wanted to basically have that money in the bank. And then right now we can start having some more options available to us. Not knowing the power of not actually selling a property at the time. Right. Um, it was very much our mindset was you need to get rid of that, uh, get rid of the one that you're holding at the moment so that you can have full access to the cash so that you can buy the next thing. Mm. In hindsight, would you ideally have kept it, do you think? Or? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's probably worth a stupid amount right now. It's worth a damn sight more than 260000 <laughs> I don't know that much. And, you know, that time since we've we've come back, I mean, that was just over 10 years ago, has just you know, disappeared like that. So between um, that time going really fast and us building our understanding of um, property and being surrounded by good people as well, it's just given us a much clearer, I guess, sense of how you can use that equity that's sitting in those properties. So fast forward to 2019 and some interest came about in, in, in going down this road again. What was the catalyst for reconsidering? So it wasn't actually anything to do with property. Uh, we weren't looking at going out to buy investment property. We weren't, it wasn't really on the radar. What was on our radar was we, my wife and I were considering having another child. And in order to do that, one of the big boxes that we needed to tick was we needed to make sure that both of us felt financially comfortable in the situation that we were in. And we've, we've had kind of dabbled in shares before and, and, unit trust and, and you know various bits and pieces but given our experience with owning a rental property before and at this stage 2019 so we've we've bought um, the, our family home that we're living in at the moment we've just got a bit more of an understanding of property than we would say with shares uh, and so we felt like in order to get that level of comfort that we were both looking for it made sense for us to to go on to investment properties again. That and uh, a massive contributing factor to that was obviously our relationship and having a really honest, trusted person in your life that has your best intentions at heart. You just can't go wrong with that. So... Um, having, oh, and that person won't shut up about the benefits of owning property. <laughs> <laughs> but listen to him, folks, because he knows what he's talking about. So you took an interesting approach in terms of uh, you bought a property in a completely different city. Mm -hmm. You live in Wellington, but you bought a property in, in McArgill. Yep. What was the reason for that? 
So, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're quite emotive people, and one of the things that we need to do was strip the emotion from the conversation. And the best way to do that is to look at the ones and zeros, to, to strictly focus on the dollars and cents of it all. And thankfully, uh, when you had spoken to us about what that might look like and then having a really simple tool like a spreadsheet that would allow you to kind of punch in numbers and start to work out, is this worth investigating more or not? That has been, that was and, and continues to be extremely helpful. I'm the kind of person where I don't want to, basically I, I like things really binary. Am I going to do this? Yes or no? Okay, yes. Well, what does the next step look like? And if I get to that step, it's about understanding, okay, do I continue looking further? Yes or no? Great. Yes, we'll continue. And I just repeat the process almost ad nauseum until I get to the point where I'm like, okay, this is, we're, we're all in now. When I look at, say, trade me and I'm, I'm just almost... I can be overwhelmed by the sheer volume of properties on TradeMe and having those kind of rule of thumb measurements that you can just quickly cast your eye over things like yield, which I still don't really fully appreciate. But yeah, things like that, I think just helps simplify the process for people like myself. So having a, a criteria to work to that you're trying to fulfill and part of the criteria in the situation was a property that was going to be cash flow positive yes cash flow positive meaning that uh, the rent covers their mortgage with 100% lending uh, along with the rates the insurance the property management fees potentially some maintenance allowance and that there's still potentially a little bit left over so that the property is generating a small amount of income each week yep. at least there's a, there's a safety barrier there so you had to step outside of Wellington to find that yeah, I think at the time when we were looking, so the major centres other than Christchurch, Canterbury was the one, or Christchurch in general, sorry, um, was the one where you could probably get that, but I had just so much, I was so unfamiliar with the area down there, you know, post-earthquakes, that it just, it, it was and continues to be a bit of a black hole for me. So outside of that area, we were just looking everywhere. And I think some of the cool things about um, going through that journey as well was not just focusing on things like it being cash flow positive, um, you know, talking about the population base that they had there. And I think you and I had spoken a couple of times about what some of the primary I guess, sources of income are for that area, if it's, you know, down south, you're talking TY, you're talking Fonterra. You know, if you've got a small town that's really reliant on forestry, say, it just felt like you could get a cash flow positive property, but there was a lot more risk associated with it. Um, whereas somewhere like Invercargill allowed us to tick off quite a few boxes there, but also I think we even had a, a a flippant comment about Kmart, you know, Kmart does its homework and if there's a Kmart in an area, it tends to suggest that there's, there's something there as well. So things like that. When I heard that there was a Kmart opening in Invercargill, I suddenly felt like, right, that's a, that's a <laughs> get, on the, that, get on that bandwagon. It's the place to be. So yeah, it's a really interesting choice because having a, having a good criteria to work to, I think is so important. A lot of people just fall into buying an investment property. They either already own a property say in somewhere like Wellington, which was their first home, and then they just keep that and that becomes their rental. Or they see a property on the street that comes on the market and think, oh, it'd be cool to own an investment property, and they go and find out they 
have the equity to do it and they jump on board without really having a, a set um, defined set of criteria that they're working to. So yeah, what we looked at was, okay, which, uh, which areas of New Zealand can you find a property that's cash flow positive, but where the population is big enough that you're protected from, as you say, the risk of one uh, employer uh, going through tough times mm. uh, and then seeing a, you know, a, a drop in the job market in that, in yeah. that spot. So big enough that you're protected. A couple of the other things that I thought were quite cool that we looked at was finding a property that had um, multiple income streams. Yes. So if you can buy a property that's two or three or four flats on one, you know, in one purchase, then you're slightly protected because if one of the tenants leaves, it, you know, it's unlikely all of them will be empty at once. Plus, you're not competing with first-time buyers, so you're not taking away or making it harder for someone to get into their first time. You're buying. That's what's basically an investment property, and and I think there are some benefits to operating in that market as well. Your competition is just looking at the numbers. Mm. So it's it, it, for the other people you're competing against. It strips some of the emotion out of it. Yeah, as well. It's interesting about the criteria as well because one of the things that I don't think many people appreciate is the influence some of your past can have on your criteria. And what I mean by that is when we bought the first house, our first home that we had prior to buying the investment properties in Porirua, we bought it and we got it we got it at a really good price. And then as the market does, it kind of shot up. And when we sold it, we made quite a bit of money. And so we had quite unrealistic expectations of how easy it was to make money off property. And so when we bought the next um, the next two places that were in Porirua, I think in the back of our mind, that probably had contributed to our purchase as well and the thinking that, you know what, it almost doesn't matter what our criteria is. We're going to make loads of money off this thing because of the history that we'd had in selling that first property. So I think that's a, it's a bit of a trap for people. If you, if you don't check that at the door, you can quite quickly think, well, I did it the first time. What's stopping it? You know, what's stopping it from happening again? Well, the market's stopping it from happening again. Capital gain is a uh, is never guaranteed. Uh, yeah. it, it's been uh, pretty reliable over the, the last you know couple of decades in New Zealand and, and and even before then. But there's no guarantee that that'll happen in the future. So mm-hmm. you know, buying a property based on solid fundamentals seems like a, a smart approach. Yeah, and if you if you get a big value gain in the future, then that's then that's a bonus. That's awesome. Yeah. On that note, what are you hoping to achieve out of owning the property in Invercargill in the long term? I think it's options. So what it allows us to do is take a breather as well. But when I look at those properties, and to be perfectly honest, I don't. I'm not a hands-on person once I've made the purchase. It kind of goes into you know a back shelf in my mind somewhere, and I, I basically move on. But what it does allow me to think is, okay, if I want to look at other properties or if I want to, I don't know, want to go overseas, then what is that going to take? Well, that's going to take money, sure and simple. Okay, well, what have I got available to me that is going to generate the money that I might need? Well, I've got myself and my skills and experiences, and that's great, and I can value those, and I know how to value those, but then... Where else, okay, now we've got this quite considerable investment that's increasing value uh, by the day down there and it's solid and it's cash flow positive and it's, you know, it's, it's coming along really well. So that is what I would use to contribute to the next step. I start thinking about, as I mentioned, options like 
everything starts to get a little bit closer with having those properties uh, in our back pocket. Freedom is such a, an important factor to look at. You, you, If you're thinking about buying a property in, say, Auckland, you may benefit from more population growth in the future and therefore more potential for uh, value growth for capital gain. Um, but if the property costs you money each week from day one, it, it's potentially limiting your freedom. You know, it makes it harder for you to drop everything and go take a job overseas if you want to or take time off if you get sick or if you want to spend time being a parent at home. So mm. I like to look at property purchases and say, does this increase my freedom or does it limit my freedom? Mm. Uh, I think that's a really important discussion to have yeah. around criteria too. I think it's a good way of looking at it too. Going back to when you sort of thought, okay, this is a, you know, we want to try and do this. We want to start having having a lot. We, we, we're starting to look at properties. We've got a criteria in mind. Were there any real barriers that you sort of had to work through or was there anything that, were there any doubts that you had to get over or, or hurdles that you felt were possibly insurmountable? Nothing that was insurmountable, but that's, I guess, the mindset that I have about most things. Everything, to be fair. Pretty handy. It is a handy. It's a handy mindset. But certainly some challenges. So, you know, dealing having, with agents. <laughs> oh, I don't know where to start. Have we got time? Uh, I mean, just on that topic is that I have a much better appreciation of the world that real estate agents operate in. I have a much better understanding of what excellent service looks like, not just in terms of the the vendor, um, but all parties and the role that the agent can play in that. And conversely, I've got a lot of experience in what crap agents look like. And it's my humble opinion that that needs to be shaken up because there are too many agents out there that are clipping the ticket and offering no value to the people that are selling their houses. Uh, and it's, it's a shame, really, because that's, you know, you take away the dollars and cents, and that's often someone's home that they're selling. So they have every right to expect the very best service, and that's just that I didn't see a lot of that, to be honest, and it was really disappointing when you see it. Um, it's a, simple things, too, like going through that process with you, you know, you were in Wellington looking at properties in Chicago and often expressing frustration that you just wanted some some simple information. Mm. You know, you go on to trade me and you want to be able to know what's the current rent, what's the rental appraisal amount, how much are the rates? Yeah. Uh, is it tenanted right now? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe more than five photos would be good. Like really basic, like just statements of fact. You're not asking for... For them to drive you all over town looking at properties, you're just saying when you're writing an advert online, can you provide a little bit of key information? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so we're not talking crazy levels of concierge service. It's it's just basic uh, standard. What should be standard practice? Yeah, and you know myself and a lot of people like me, we're we're time poor. We're, we're you know we're trying to be as effective with our time as possible. And when I'm looking at a post or I'm looking at a uh, something and trade me out about a property. I want that information in there straight away. I don't want to have to go digging for it. I don't want to have to email. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of um, the listings, and then they have you basically email this uh, this address, and then you get a link sent to you, and then you download this information. I'm like, just give it to me in the first hit. Don't make me work for this. Like I'm trying to buy something off you. Make it easy for me. And like you say, with some of the photos, I mean, I 
I couldn't help but laugh out loud at some of the photos that got put up on on these um, listings, and I'm, you know, I almost felt like they were the agent was working for me <laughs> because they were, you know, taken off a taken off a, a phone kind of mid morning or something. I don't know. It was just even the one you brought. We won't name any addresses, but it looked like the, the agent was actually sat in the car taking the photo. <laughs> It looked like it was about seven in the morning. The house was in the shade. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think they'd actually gotten out of the car. Yeah, you know, it was it was a bit of a shambles. But you know, I benefited from it, so that's that's, right. there's a silver lining there for us. But yeah, I mean, there's. I feel like you know we just mentioned it, but there's just so much room for improvement for agents, and it would be great if there was some sort of standard, not not just the the agency standard, but like a threshold of quality that everybody had to meet. Yeah, because it's a significant purchase and sale for a lot of people, myself mm. included. So looking back to being in that process of, of, you know, you're starting to look at properties, at what point did it start to feel achievable? At what point did you feel like, right, we this actually could happen? Day one. <laughs> <laughs> Love the confidence. Um, I felt like, and apologies, listeners, there's just so many conversations that um, Andrew and I have had uh, leading up to it, but I felt really well equipped and you know it was it was a matter of when it was always going to happen it was just a matter of when it was going to happen i think it's helpful to have that outlook to it you know so that you don't get put off when you have an experience that's suboptimal with an agent or when it's hard to find information online and you know it's just you need something to help you push through those interactions because it's can be easy when you're tired bored you say oh this is just too hard but you're letting that poor service kind of take you away from your goal from what you're trying to achieve yeah which would be a shame yeah absolutely really easy to be distracted and there's just so many potholes along the road that i can talk to but uh i felt yeah i felt really well equipped and uh it was it was just so beneficial for my wife and I having the likes of yourself there you know you've got this trusted person that you can just bounce ideas off constantly ask those stupid questions you know it's it's really important to have somebody that you can do that with because no one has all the answers but it's just ideal if you if you have a great source like that and once again has your interests at heart and so I think yeah that was just it was just really cool being able to step step through step around challenges was the situation where that played out when you were making your initial offer on the property you actually brought where from memory you were going to offer quite a lot higher than you ended up offering yes that's right and you asked me for my opinion before you placed this offer and i sort of checked your thinking and we talked it through and, and discussed it but because you had reached out and asked for advice i was able to take a sort of less emotional look at the situation and yeah and and uh potentially that that helps somewhat uh, but just having someone that you can talk to to who, who ideally knows what they're talking about to just challenge your thinking and just be another set of eyes on the problem yeah absolutely i think that that question and your response probably saved us close to like a six figure <laughs> six figure sum uh just by asking the question so i think that's that's probably something else out there as well is, is having the confidence to be able to ask those questions as well because you know often I think we can be a bit fearful of of coming across as being a bit stupid but just being able to ask the question in its own right can be its own challenge but it's absolutely doable it's, it's once you verbalize it and it's out then you know somebody like yourself can give those fresh eyes give that fresh opinion well uh, we had a lot of really 
cool chats on the subject. The, were there any books that you read? Were there any sort of other resources that you found really beneficial? Yes, there were. Uh, I had I started to consume. I probably started to overdo it, if I'm honest. There's a bit where you know I was reading Dolph DeRus and Graham Graham Fowler. Graham Fowler, um, and you know bits of Kiyosaki and all the rest. And I think David. Well. David Whitburn, yes, yes, the David Whitburn book I really enjoyed. Have a look, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I'll put a few links up for people so you can check it out. Cool. Uh, but the but part of that is that you, you can almost get into a cycle where you get paralysis by overanalysis because you start, you know, going back to criteria, then you start looking for the 50 different criteria that all these really successful people might be applying, only five or ten on their own, but then you're trying to pull it all together into one, uh, one set. And yeah, that's, I think that's the, uh, that's something just to be mindful of is there is such a thing as too much information. Like sooner or later, you've got to keep moving forward, right? And it's tempting when you read these stories, you know, that the, the examples they use are so amazing and it's natural to start wanting to chase, you know, the perfect, the perfect deal, the perfect solution when often that's potentially a little bit unrealistic. So one thing I like to keep in mind and to tell people is that it's, it's far more important to buy uh, the right property than it is to buy it at either the right time or at a bargain price. Mm-hmm. You know, you can buy a property for an absolute bargain price, but if it's not the best property, you probably, there's a high chance you'll have issues with it yeah. while you own it. As long as you don't massively overpay for it and you buy it within sort of a range of, of, of what's fair, if you've bought it with sound criteria, you should be okay. A lot of investors I've seen over the years just keep just throwing mud at the walls just hoping something will stick and they don't end up getting anywhere they don't end up owning anything because they're mm. constantly trying to buy a house for 100 grand less than what it's actually worth yeah trying to get that perfect that perfect purchase right and that saying that we, we're both fond of is perfection is the enemy of progress and it absolutely is and this is a clear example of it is if you're, you're sitting around waiting for that perfect buy you'll still be sitting there waiting and it's just the time that you spend. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just inefficient. It's yeah, hours and hours of your life. Yeah, and that's time you can't get back, right? Yeah. Is there anything else you'd say to someone who, say, was in you know is in your position before you started this journey? Uh, any other advice you'd give? Um, I would go back to surrounding yourself with good people. So that I think is is hugely important. Uh, you don't need to be the best at something in life you don't in fact you don't have to be the best at anything in life but if you want to be successful in a particular area your likelihood of being successful is going to go up massively if you are surrounded by good people so you know we were fortunate uh, I guess my wife and I were fortunate enough to have each other and we were fortunate to have you as well you know and then the role that you played and uh, someone like our accountant um, who I never really understood what accountants did. I knew they kind of moved numbers around, but they can give just that completely different perspective that is not a natural fit with my skill set. Good lawyers, Mm. absolutely. Uh, You want somebody that is going to hold your hand through the process at times when you don't know what the next step looks like. Um, People who will speak your language as well. Um, I think, you know, those, those kind of, that kind of characteristic applies uh, across the board for any of the people that you're that are kind of within your orbit i feel like that's particularly true around the sort of equity situation you know we, we had a lot of conversations talking through how you could use the equity in your own home to buy an investment property where you didn't have to 
put any money in. And mm. The bank would lend you 100% of the price, yeah. which is quite a, a, a tricky um, premise to understand. So if, if, it's, if it's hard to wrap your head around that at first, don't be put off. Uh, it's just a matter of talking it through until you feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, but don't uh, don't dismiss it straight away. It's 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 just a matter of getting the right people around you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there were things uh, using the accountant accountant as an example where, truth be told, we didn't actually understand what he was saying, but we would ask him, "We're paying you. Is this the right decision? Is this the right thing at this point in time?" You know, he'd give us he would give us a yes or no, and or else he'd he'd talk a little bit more about it. But he would have the confidence to say, "Yes, this is what you should be doing." Great. That's all I need. Yeah. Like, I don't actually need to know the detail of it. You know, when I jump in my car and I turn the key over, I don't know how what's going on under the bonnet. I don't need to know to be perfectly honest. I just need to know when I put my foot on the accelerator, it's going to go forward. That's all I want to know. And, and who to call when it stops working? <laughs> absolutely. If there's something wrong. Great. The mechanic. You know, that's their skill set. So, I'm absolutely comfortable not needing to know the inner workings of every part of that part of the journey that we're on, and that's cool. It's, there's a good message there about not needing to have, not needing to be an expert at everything to get started. To mm-hmm. you know, having an action bias is, is really helpful in this kind of situation. It, you don't need to have all the answers to um, start thinking about a criteria, to speak to a mortgage broker, to see if it's possible financially, to uh, start looking on TradeMe, to start adding properties to your watch list, to start emailing agents, to start looking at homes.co.nz to check what they think these houses are worth mm. to start looking at rental appraisals. You, you can take these steps and gain confidence as you go, um, build on your strengths, which I know you really like to focus on, but, but take that kind of approach where the, the confidence grows as you get more exposure to it. Yeah. And it, like those things that you mentioned, they don't actually cost you anything. You know, you could just do that while you're sitting on the bus, while you're waiting for the next person to turn up at a meeting that they're late for, whatever it is. Like that, that's just time you can, you can build that up and, and get that familiarity. You know, that familiarity will breed that confidence. It's cyclic. So you'll be fine. Just keep, keep plugging that time into it. And then when you're ready to start taking the step, you can start reaching out to the professionals. What I love about this is that we've really talked about the kind of the feeling and the philosophy behind it. All the, the actual sort of individual steps. We've written those up in a blog post and I'll, I'll put the, the link to that in the show notes here. But I hope that listening to this is, is you know, maybe helped allay some of the, the fears or, or kind of uh, the self-talk that might stop you making progress if you, if you want to. So hope everyone's found that helpful. Thank you so much for jumping in and, and sharing your story. My pleasure. And we wish everyone the best on their journey, whatever they decide to do. And uh, don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Absolutely. Love it.